Uh, we always planned on doing this conversation live in person and face-to-face. Uh, that didn't work out because we're in this challenging COVID time. And uh, it is this challenging COVID time that Alan Fagan will remember as the final months <laughs> as the executive vice president of the Orthodox Union. He took over the position and, uh, to say the least, made the most of it uh, just over six years ago in the springtime of 2014. Uh, he is now uh, moving on, and we get to speak with him about what these last six years have been like at the Orthodox Union. Alan Fagan, although it's via telephone and not in person, I still say welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nochum. Uh, good uh, good to be back, and I'm delighted uh, to hear that uh, you're going to start to get out of the studio yes. now. That's great news. I hope I can get used to it quickly. It might be it might be a tough adjustment to actually see sunshine during the day and interact with people. <laughs> <laughs> what a thought. Exactly. Who would have thunk it, right? Well, that's great. Another uh, step forward. I, I got to start with the following, um, uh, because you're in our forum here. Uh, and then we'll get to all the questions I have about the last six years and the future of the OU. Um, we have had, uh, over the years, we've had dreams, we've had goals, we've had projects uh, that we believe are difference makers in the Jewish world, especially when it comes to community. Uh, and we've had a very active, as you know, a very active Jewish unity initiative for many, many years, led by the great Simon Jacob. Uh, even he would agree that when it came to certain projects, if the OU was not there, they never would have gotten off the ground. And, of course, we, when we say that, are thinking immediately of Atlanta and the, and the tremendous show of unity and bringing people together from so many communities in the southeast. We think of Houston, of course, after the floods, just letting people know that somebody in some other area of the country actually cares about them and is thinking about them. And we would not have been able to physically have been in these places uh, without uh, you and your enthusiastic support at the OU. So I will start with a big thank you for everything that you've helped us facilitate and do over the last six years. The the thanks, uh, Nachum, go in the other direction. Uh, uh, you and the network have just been extraordinary in what you've done for the Jewish people, for your audience, and, and certainly for the OU. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that very, very much. And here we are. I never thought that we'd get to this point where we're looking back at six years and, and and everything that's happened over the last six years, as you move on from this position, Alan Fagan with us, Executive Vice President, Orthodox Union. Um, isn't it strange, and I, I am sure, just as an observer of life for a few decades, I am sure this is a case in so many different circumstances that that these terms, these long, uh, long, sometimes difficult, but very satisfying terms, like your six years, always have some major bump in the road or always have some major highlight that dominates a certain period of time. And what you've gone through since February or early March uh, with the COVID-19 situation, uh, I, I would say your term has ended with a very challenging situation. Is that how you would put it? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> to, put it, uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> right. Um, you know the piece I just did in uh, in Jewish Action, which has uh, just come out, uh, has a little bit of reflection on that precise subject, because my tenure began with a crisis, and has now ended in a crisis, uh, and and so I feel like my my tenure at the OU was bracketed uh, by crisis. You'll remember, uh, Nachum, that 
shortly after I began uh, at the at the OU, uh, we had the uh, the Gaza War, right? And uh, it came just as we had all of our summer programs that summer had either already departed or were about to depart uh, for Israel. Right. Many of our kids were already there. We had to figure out what to do with them and where to move them. Those that had not yet left, we had to figure out if we were going to send them. Uh, and uh, that sort of 10-day period, I think, was probably uh, the most uh, hectic and, and stress-provoking time that I've ever encountered. And just to put it in perspective, and obviously you don't want war, nor do you want uh, um, uh, pandemics, but between the two, that might even have been an easier time because travel was not completely restricted than it is now. Correct, and and, and, and we had enormous uh, cooperation from our, our ground staff uh, in, in Israel, the Israeli authorities, uh, uh, and, and from parents. Right. Uh, and, and our incredible, incredible NCSY and Yachad staff uh, that were there to manage the whole process, and thank God it, it all worked out uh, just fine. This is obviously a, you know, a, a, a different and hopefully once in a lifetime kind of situation, but its consequences are are just uh, profound for for all of us. Yeah, no question about that. You know, I, I said to myself, what are the major categories to discuss with someone like you, who's uh, overseen the uh, the OU over this period of time? And I came up with Kashrus, Torah, community activism, and youth, and maybe Kashrus is the one that our um, audience is most familiar with and the one that really doesn't need a long-term discussion, although we should mention that anytime something significant becomes kosher, it is big news in the Jewish world, Alan. I think you've seen that once or twice over the last six years. <laughs> um, you can't beat Oreo cookies. <laughs> with, all, with all the news and all the wars and all the activism, when Oreos becomes kosher, or he gets a hashkacha, I should say. There is that, no bigger news. I, I'm, no not, big... I'm not sure what's left, um, but... Uh, we we seem to uh we seem to continue uh that that incredible uh incredible trend i sort of you know, said meatless, that uh, meatless hamburgers yeah. i suppose uh, come pretty close i sort of said that to myself the other day that my kids really are not living through the generation of excitement that i had the privilege of living through where you know every half a year something significant in the world of kashrus was revealed you know they they do get a couple of pieces of news here and there but not that you know that 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 anticipation and then that final uh you know piece of news that finally this item has become kosher Correct, correct. You know, I, I remember, I remember as a child that you know Pesach Pesach meant potatoes, eggs, and onions. Right. Uh, now and, look, and at now it. now you can just walk the aisles of any gourmet grocery yeah. and uh, frozen pizza. It's, it's amazing what's happened uh, with within the, the, so the whole kashrus uh, realm. We talk about how uh, difficult it was to make Pesach this year for so many people, and I'm not minimizing that. But boy, it's a lot easier when there's frozen pizza in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Now a million products and ingredients. It's it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary service to the Jewish world. Totally remarkable. By the way, one of the most interesting interviews we've had during COVID was when we got a couple of the mashkichim on who travel a lot to China to discuss what the whole pandemic, uh, you know, what effect it would have on the kashrus industry. And it's you know obviously a lot of great rabbis and supervisors have made a lot of great adjustments. But you know, I mean, you talk about this affecting everything. It affected that as well. 
It, it certainly affected uh, that, and I think it's a uh, it, it's a testament to the ability to pivot <clears throat> from a a face to face world to a virtual world that we've seen in every aspect of our programming. Uh, it 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 may not be ideal, uh, but it makes doable uh, so much of what it is that we didn't want to stop. No question about it. Alan Fagan's with us, outgoing executive vice president of the OU. So I mentioned the other categories, Torah, community, activism, youth. We touched on the youth aspect with the summer discussion. We touched on the community aspect with the uh, Jewish Unity Initiative uh, topic. Um, so, so what is your position about? You work with the president. You work with the board. Uh, is yours more of a nuts and bolts, day-to-day, make sure things are running well job, or is there a lot of policy and thematic thinking to your job, the direction, the overall attitude, and the overall um, a, a community um, messages that you want to get across from your desk? Uh, cer- certainly part of the job is is nuts and bolts, keeping the trains on the tracks. But I, I, I think the vast portion of my time over the last six years has really been spent uh, in in trying to engage in strategic planning for the organization and with all of our component parts so that each could expand what they were doing, create better efficiencies in what they were doing, concentrate on their mission, and and most importantly, figure out how to evolve uh, in in terms of carrying out a mission that has to evolve. Uh, uh, with time, particularly given the kinds of audiences that we work with. Um, you know, I think about NCSY, for example. Mm-hmm. The way you interacted with a teen audience that you were trying to bring closer to their Jewish roots, closer, closer to Yiddishkeit, more involved with their Jewish identity, the, the, the way you could work with an audience of Jewish teens 20 years ago is fundamentally different than it is today. Right. Indeed, the way you work with such an audience five years ago, or even five months ago, constantly evolves. The kids are different. The demographics are different. Their background is certainly different. Uh, uh, and, and therefore, the, the, the kinds of mechanisms that are necessary the kinds of approaches that are necessary to work with them have to evolve. And if an, if an organization doesn't adapt and change to changing times, it simply stagnates. Yeah, yeah, I have to interrupt you for a second because there are two aspects to this that I need you to analyze for us. The first is, you know, bad example, but but, but often they would say, you know, when the FBI needs to really crack a case, they, they throw their, you know, their, their largest and best manpower at it, you know, just keep throwing agents at the case and eventually it'll be solved. It seems like with NCSY, uh, your organization in the last six years has has done something something similar. You have taken uh, uh, some of the departments and some of the regions that really needed personnel, and you've thrown a lot of staff members in that direction. I would also add to that that a lot of great staff members have gone in that direction. If you look at the talent pool, and I think we're getting to the point now, and it used to be, uh, and maybe it still is, that, that you know there are certain organizations and institutions people say, oh, if he's a rabbi who is ordained by X, Y, or Z, you know, you know you're getting a quality rabbi. I think now anytime you see NCSY attached 
to a young person's resume who's in their 20s or 30s, you know you're getting a very talented young man or young woman. And I think that's sort of a development of the last half a decade. We've been um, absolutely blessed uh, in being able to both attract and retain really extraordinary talent. And, and that holds not just for NCSY, but throughout Yachad and JLIC, our synagogue services department, our birthright organization, uh, all of our new programming, our women's initiative, and the Center for Communal Research, up and down the line of our programs. Mm-hmm. We have been absolutely blessed uh, with really extraordinarily talented uh, men and women. And, 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 and I say men and women because we've made a concerted effort. Uh, and I think part of our success has been the expansion, the rapid expansion of our talent pool so that we can bring in not just incredibly talented men, but incredibly talented women into the organization who are making enormous contributions. Yeah. Speaking to my point, by the way, last week I interviewed somebody on the air, and when I saw JLIC, as I was preparing for the interview, I saw JLIC and his resume, I, I knew that we were talking about a certain type of talent, and that's you know, that's amazing that someone could be labeled like that, and people you know, already know that, oh my gosh, if they were if they were a JLIC couple, we're talking about you know people who can make a big difference out there. Make a big difference and have, and, and, and certainly the last several months, as as college students left campus and returned uh, home for the most part, their ability to maintain literally day-to-day contact with thousands of college students no longer congregated on a particular campus but now spread across the country uh, has been truly, uh, truly uh, remarkable. Alan Fagan's with us, outgoing executive vice president of the OU. Uh, we talk about activism. Um, we saw the role that your organization has played in, I would say, two major things, obviously many, many others, but I'll point out these two examples. Number one, uh, the tuition situation. Nobody ever thought that any type of lobbying on a city, state, or federal level would get any breaks or any type of funding for the Jewish world. Obviously, you and your staff proved otherwise. In addition to that, I think that anybody who benefited or was saved by government programs that were set up to help people during COVID-19 owes your uh, um, Washington department a very big debt of gratitude because they were out there telling the Jewish community exactly what they need to do if they're a not-for-profit, if they're a regular business, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure you would argue that without sowing these seeds and without planting these these seeds 20 years ago or maybe even more, the OU would never have had personnel at the level and connected enough to have given out this information and to do so reliably? You know, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it's a question really of two things. It, it's a question of priority, and it's a question of approach. Uh, and I'm enormously proud of the huge leap forward that we've taken in our advocacy efforts, in particular our state and local advocacy efforts, to bring so much in the way of resources resources and, and government funding to schools and to yeshivas uh, in all of the states in which we operate. And, and, and we took a, a, a very, very different approach uh, than we had taken in the past. Uh, you know, in the good old days, I remember you'd go up to, uh, to Albany with a car full of people. <clears throat> you'd prowl the halls in Albany, 
you'd buttonhole some legislators, you'd take some photographs, you'd put them in a newsletter, and you thought you had engaged in spectacular advocacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. Uh, the, the, the approach that we adopted five or six years ago as we created the Teach Network, which now operates in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, right. Florida, Maryland, California. We, we cover about 90% of yeshiva and day school students in the states in which we operated. The, the approach that we took was to say that we needed to engage in advocacy in the same way that a major corporation would engage in advocacy efforts on a matter that was critical to their own success as an entity. And that's the approach that we took. <clears throat> we started to hire the best lobbyists that we could find in every state in which we operated. We hired the best public relations professionals that we could find. We created consortiums of, of, uh, of involved schools that are now fully engaged with us, not only in helping to fund the effort, but in coming together as a unified group and making certain that our voice was going to be heard in all of the state houses uh, out there that we needed to uh, to focus on, and the results have have, have been nothing short of uh, of uh, remarkable. Yeah. We we calculated recently that over the last six years we probably have brought somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 1.1 billion dollars uh, to yeshivas and day schools in various kinds of funding, basic per capita funding, STEM funding, technology funding, security funding, busing, nursing services, whole panoply of, of, uh, of services uh, that schools were um, uh, desperately in need of and, and parents were desperately in need of. The tuition burden is crushing. And we never would have had that kind of money. I don't know. If we, I mean, one could say it's all gravy, that we never would have had any of this without the advocacy. We, we had some, but we were able to multiply uh, that number uh, enormously, and not only to multiply what was coming out of state and local government, but also to create a mechanism so that every school that we worked with, every yeshiva that we worked with, was aware of the entitlements that they had under various government programs that we helped to create, and we assisted them in doing all of the complicated paperwork that was necessary uh, in order to access those funds. And now there are any number of, of major yeshivas and day schools who tell us that a substantial portion of their budget uh, is now covered uh, by that aid. Now, now our job is going to be in the, in the post-COVID world where, where states are reeling in terms of their own uh, uh, economic uh, difficulties now our job is to preserve uh, the gains that uh, that we've made, and, and that's going to be a monumental task that we're turning our attention to now. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSingle.com and the NahumSingle Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. Alan Fagan, outgoing executive vice president of the OU, is with us as we speak about the last six years. He took over in the spring of 2014 uh, in this uh, in the position of executive Vice President. By the way, and maybe this is one of the benefits of COVID-19, uh, if there is such a thing, because of the whole Zoom thing, the OU under your leadership spent so much time trying to help grow community programming and youth programming around the country. You've taken great pride 
in, uh, in, in your synagogues and communities around the entire country and paid special attention over the last six years uh, to make sure that, that um, uh, rabbis and lecturers, both men and women, would be able to, uh, to get out to different communities. Uh, you've, you created a, a system where uh, people who are looking for youth activities and shul programming could consult with those who were in larger and more established communities uh, to get advice and to share ideas. And uh, I think maybe now with the Zoom generation, you know, in full swing, uh, maybe we'll see even more of that. Where we'll, we'll be able to facilitate outlying communities in certain areas of the U.S. to have top-notch guest speakers who may not be able to uh, to fly out or have the schedule to to fly specifically for a weekend to those communities. You know, it's it's, it's interesting. All of us, I think, everybody is is engaged in this uh, process of prognostication about what the new normal is going to look like, how right. the world is going to change uh, in light of uh, what we've learned during this epidemic. Uh, and certainly one of the things that we've learned uh, is the ability to harness the power of technology. We've had shiurim that we have sponsored with, with some of the finest uh, minds, some of the greatest scholars and 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 uh, and, and rabbanim uh, anywhere in the world and now you recognize that they don't necessarily need to be in a particular place at a particular time to spread uh, uh, to spread their knowledge their wisdom and their Torah they can do it from anywhere and they can do it to as broad an audience that technology permits can be on at one time uh, uh, on uh, on a presentation, and that's been a hugely important lesson for us. How much of that will remain post-COVID? Uh, I think remains to be seen. We certainly have demonstrated the ability to do that, and we've demonstrated at the same time the enormous thirst that's out there. I was just going to ask you, well, how thirsty is American jury for this? They are parched. <laughs> exactly, uh, and and. And, and the question is, how much of that is going to remain? Uh, you know, at, when, when, when we were all quarantining and, and we had time on our hands, we dedicated a portion of that time to learning. Will that dedication continue in the same, with the same zeal and the same enthusiasm? I hope the answer is yes. Time will tell. There's, there's also no question, uh, I think, that, that for... for large chunks of our demographic, uh, young people in particular, uh, I, I, I think there's a certain, uh, uh, you know, sense of, of, of tiredness of staring at a screen. Yep. Uh, and, and I think schools are seeing that. Young people are seeing that. They just want to escape. Uh, you know, I heard a wonderful term uh, a couple of weeks ago, oiskazoomed. <laughs> uh, and 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 that unfortunately i think is is also a reality and how this will all kind of mesh together the the, the pluses and the minuses uh the the silver lining that we've seen uh, uh in being able to harness technology and the possible reaction to all of that i think we're going to see that playing out uh, over the over the next uh, period of months and beyond, Alan, what about the whole global aspect? W weren't there a lot of eyebrows raised when you spoke about youth groups forming under your umbrella in South America and Germany and, and Israel getting stronger and stronger under your uh, supervision in terms of their youth programs, etc.? 
Uh, yes, and and uh, you know what we're what we're finding is that while there are uh, uh, certainly programs that operate globally, there, there's a certain a, a certain way of doing things, a, a certain way of invo- involving particularly teens uh, in activity that NCSY has mastered. It, it's a it's an approach. It's a it's a unique way of connecting. It's also a realization that the world is getting so much smaller. A lot of people wouldn't have the guts to to think they can go ahead and uh, and cover the territory that you've gone ahead and declared you can cover. Uh, but it, you you realize how small the world is at this point. The world is smaller, but but it's also a question of people. Right. And and for us, it's it's it, we're, we're limited by only two things: the identification of talent, the acquisition of talent. Uh, and the funds necessary to support a program, and we've been we've been blessed with extraordinary talent in Argentina, in Chile, in Israel. Now the NCSY chapters in Israel are blooming uh, because there is an enormous demand, particularly within the Anglo community um, and and recent Olim, uh, who bring with them. Uh, American teens or Anglo teens who have grown up in a certain way, grown up in a certain culture, then get dropped into a culture which in many ways is difficult to break into. And NCSY becomes the avenue for them uh, to be able to navigate all of those new cultural realities. Finally, we spoke to David Cutler yesterday. How hard have all these summer decisions been? Agonizing. I can only imagine. Absolutely uh, agonizing. You know, when, when when you try to balance the extraordinary need that's out there to provide healthy and wholesome and educationally rich programming for so many kids who aren't sure what they're going to be doing this summer, you balance that against the ability to do it safely and appropriately and and you're walking a tightrope that's almost impossible uh, uh, to walk. So true. We we had um, before March, so even fairly early in the season, before the pandemic really gripped us uh, in in March, uh, we had 1,700 teens uh, signed up to be with us for the summer, and that number would have grown uh, over the next month or two as and, we got closer. To and the if you'd mentioned how many of them are public school youth, people wouldn't even believe you. Half of them, unbelievable. Uh, uh, half of them, and 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 so it it it's. I, I think the biggest disappointment for all of us, the the amount of time and uh, and emotional energy and work uh, that went into thinking about every conceivable alternative that we could think of, and thinking about whether we actually had the capability uh, of of pivoting from an Israel-based, primarily travel program uh, to an American-based camping-type program. Uh, People think the summer is the summer, but those are fundamentally different kinds of programs. Uh, And and the skills necessary to run them safely and efficiently aren't necessarily uh, identical. But what we will be doing is 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 running a a massive uh, program called Project Community in communities all across the United States that will be providing uh, day programming 
for what we anticipate will be hundreds, if not thousands, of, of teens in, in, in at least uh, 20 communities around uh, the United States. And, Canada. and I know mature people don't cry over spilled milk and we don't lament what we can't control, but nonetheless, it's hard not to lament when you think of all those public school youth who go to Israel and would have this summer and come back and really change their families, not just them, but have such a tremendous positive effect uh, Jewishly and religiously on their families. And in addition to that, there are a lot of uh, a lot of students who go with you guys, with the OU, if people remember how it works, through birthright to Israel. And that, too, is a group that's not going anywhere right now. And, and that's one that helps change this generation for the positive. So I know we shouldn't lament when we can't control, but it's hard not to avoid, you know, thinking about what kind of shame it is that it's not taking place. It's it's a it's a terrible uh, terrible shame, uh, but I do need to give an enormous shout out to our NCSY staff yep. that has figured out how to maintain contact with all of these kids that are participating, uh, and we're looking forward with enormous uh, optimism to uh, uh, to next summer and um, making up. Some of the lost ground. You never can. You, you never can fill right. that gap uh, entirely. But that holds true in, in so many aspects of how this epidemic has affected everyone. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this delay in travel will simply encourage more and more youth to go next summer, which is always possible. Uh, Alan Fagan, outgoing executive vice president at the OU. Uh, he's been there since the spring of 2014 in this position. And I know that, you know, in terms of uh, your uh, successor, um, it, you know, things may change and, and responsibilities are, are you know, divided up differently, you know, in every administration. But with all that in mind, tell us your impressions of uh, incoming Executive Vice President Rabbi Moshe Hauer. He is an extraordinary man. Uh, uh, he is a person of, of uh, uh, enormous uh, vision. Uh, in-depth knowledge of of our community, uh, uh, and and he is a warm and very very decent person. So you're leaving this in good hands, Alan. There's going to be a terrific management team <laughs> uh, uh, in place, and 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 I I salute them and I salute the organization for uh, having as seamless a transition as I've ever seen in 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 any uh, for-profit or not-for-profit uh, enterprise. Uh, I can't thank you enough. We'll we'll get the opportunity. I know you will be visiting us at some point in the future, and I have a feeling that uh, you know, in 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 now what uh, you would call more of a lay leadership position, uh, you will still be involved both with the OU and many other causes out there. I can't imagine that you're literally hanging up your hat and uh, retiring from all this, Alan. Well, I I I, I think it's going to uh, it, it's going to change uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, day-to-day responsibility, uh, certainly, and, and, and hopefully give me the opportunity now to spend uh, far more time uh, with, uh, with my wife, with my children, my grandchildren, and please God, shortly with a great-grandchild. Wow, Bezrat Hashem. Uh, even with meanwhile, with all that, they're all going to have to understand that you still have an eye toward what's going on in the community. <laughs> I don't think I'll lose that. <laughs> Not a chance. I thank you again for everything. Look forward to being touched in the future, and uh, and thank you for looking back at these six years with us this morning. Thank you, Nachum. It's a pleasure to have been with you on so many occasions. Pleasure to be with you today, and wish you continued great, great success with all of the wonderful work 
work uh, you do with uh, with our community and our deepest thanks and appreciation to you. Appreciate that very, very much. Continued success, and uh, and thank you for six wonderful years. Alan Fagan, Executive Vice President, outgoing Executive Vice President at the OU, the Orthodox Union, looking back at a term that started around Pesach time in 2014. Tuesday morning broadcast, Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM.